But during that time, I, you know, I kind of left my wife and all my kids and there, you know, I wasn't, wasn't around like I should have been and get out to the crime scene. And I'm looking at this vehicle, this, this vehicle, this, this, uh, say like a 2004, 2005 BMW. It's lodged up on the side of a wall and the tires are still engaged because the victim, she's been shot inside of her vehicle and she tried to drive away from her attacker and he shot one time through the car, strikes her in the back of her head and she dies instantly. So she's, the car ended up wrecking and it's lodged on the side of a wall. And I'm not spending enough time with my kids and those were the most important days of my life. Get out to the crime scene and I'm taking down my notes and I'm looking in the car at the victim. Now they've got everything set up to where I can get close enough to it and, and take down my notes before they remove the body from the car. And uh, I'm writing out my notes and the guy, I asked the guy, I said, what's her name? And he says, Kayla. And I stopped for a second, you know, her name is what? Kayla. My daughter's name is Kayla. I am going to be interviewing former homicide detective Chris Anderson, and we're going to talk about some cases and his book and some uh, what he's been doing. And so check out the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, no problem, man. I appreciate you for having me. So uh, you were you were on um, Discovery Channel's, um, what was the name of the show? The name of the show was Reasonable Doubt. Reasonable Doubt. And that was for five seasons? Yeah, man, yeah. So, yeah, um, Discovery, yeah, the, going on to Reasonable Doubt was a, you know, it was a huge change in my career. You know, I'm used to, you know, investigating homicide cases and working cold cases and things of that nature. But uh, getting the opportunity to go from, uh, you know, as a homicide investigator and then being featured on First 48 and then going into my own show, Reasonable Doubt, uh, and running it for five years, man, that that was, you know, that was a huge change. It was life changing for me, actually, to see some of the cases that I've worked, or see some of the cases that others have worked and, and, and being able to sit down and, and, and really get some people some help. That, that, that was a grip. One of the best things I've done in my career. So I'm wondering when you go in and and speak with, so you go to reinvestigate a case, mm-hmm. and you go in do the homicide detectives that had worked the case like are they are they okay with that? Are they irritated? Like they feel like hey this guy's you know looking over my shoulder or double checking my work or or are they they open to it like man we want the help. So yeah, some some of the cases uh, I've looked into, they they run the gamut of everything they just said. I've run into some cases where some guys have, uh, you know, been very open to having a, having somebody look at a, at another case. I've had, I had some guys that have want you know felt like I was looking over their shoulders and they had to critique their work and things of that nature. Uh, and I've had some that just flat out said, "No, you know, you you're not gonna tell me, you know." my work is wrong and they, you know that's kind of like the uh the mindset of a of a of a homicide investigator you, you don't want people you know critiquing your work you know and you always want to maintain one of the worst things that could happen to uh a a, a, a police officer and, and and even a homicide investigator especially is to have someone come in and say that someone you were responsible for convicting your investigation was responsible of convicting 
the worst thing to say was that guy was wrongfully convicted. So I can understand some of these guys and I want me to come in and question. But on the other hand, I look at it like this. Uh, there have been lots of cases where people have been wrongfully convicted. And as a matter of fact, there are innocent people that are sitting in prison now. Whenever an investigation has been done and a trial has been conducted and you have more questions that still remain than answers, then you should be willing to open up the books and let's re reinvestigate, let's relook into what happened in this case and see if maybe we got this one wrong. Yeah, I, so I've, you know, I've spoken with a lot of, of uh, law enforcement and I always, it, it's funny, like with my opinion of homicide detectives are that like they, they're very, they tend to be very focused on, on not convicting, but, but solving that crime. Like, cause you know, there's no, there's no worse crime than murder, obviously. And it's, it's funny. You tend to get, you know, those are the guys that raise up through the ranks. You know what I mean? Like they have a goal. That's what they want to do. They want to, they want to get to become a homicide detective. So usually like the best, the best guys. And a lot of times that I've, I've just noticed that they're super driven and, and they don't care about anything else. It's like, look, like all these other crimes are, you know, almost a joke in comparison to murder. It's like, oh, you're the guy had a gun. Okay, great. The guy was smoking pot. Okay, great. The guy had, look, I don't care about any of that. I'll take any help. You know, I want, you know, I want to solve this crime and I could care less about anything that I have to do to get to that point or who I have to deal with and talk to. Because those other crimes don't mean anything. Right. So, which I like about that. What I don't like is what you're saying. Like that, like that would upset me. It's like, okay, I get you feel like the guy committed the crime. Right. But do you really know it? Right. And yeah, so you, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, homicide investigators are extremely driven individuals. You have to be driven. You have to be extremely focused. Because when you're not focused and when you're not driven, when you get tired, you're going to go home. You know, if you're not driven, when, when you, if you're not focused, when you're looking at those cases and, and walking through the crime scenes and, and having to, 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 to process the, the millions of bits of information that are coming to you uh, w without warning, if you're not focused, you'll miss something that's extremely important. So yeah, uh, most homicide investigators that I've known that, that I've met in my career, they were they were extremely focused. They were extremely driven. They was these were the guys that were the cream of the crop uh, uh, in their police departments, and they 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 ascended to the heights of a of a homicide investigator. Uh, and it takes a lot. It, I mean, in my department, it took a lot for uh, a guy to, to to get into that unit. They didn't just 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 end up in that unit by happenstance. You know, they, they, there were supervisors that were looking for a particular skill set. Uh, for the individuals that they brought into that unit. So when did you, where were you, where were you raised? So I was raised in my city that I worked in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in Birmingham. I grew up in one of the roughest parts of Birmingham. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of, uh, of the show First 48, which I was, I was one of the investigators that was featured on First 48 also. Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the cases that we film uh, on First 48 were cases that happened in my neighborhood where I grew up. So, uh, yeah, I, I came up through, through Birmingham. I'm a second-generation police officer. My mom was a cop here in Birmingham. 
Uh, and she was brought into the department during a time where, you know, there weren't a lot of females in police work and not a lot of black females in police work. So she's always been a trailblazer and a hero to me. So uh, when she went into police work, I was probably about four or five years old. And, uh, you know, when I got of age, I think I was 21 when I when I started with the department. And, you know, I, I didn't want to work anywhere else but the Marianne Police Department because that's where I grew up. That's where I wanted to make, you know, the most uh, impact. Was your father around? What? Yeah, yeah. So my father was was around. Uh, my father was the victim of a of an assault, a serious assault, uh, when I was uh, wow, it's probably a year or two after my mom became a police officer, uh, and uh, he was seriously injured and uh, handicapped for the rest of his life. He's still alive today, but he was handicapped uh, uh, during that time, and he never could really hold down a job or anything like that. So my mom, while she raised three boys, she also had to take care of her husband. You know, she was the breadwinner of all the family after my father was almost murdered. So, uh, I mean, what are, what are your, um, you have what, two brothers? I have two brothers. I have an older brother. I'm the middle child of us three. Uh, I was probably, <laughs> anyone that, 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 that knows me and my family, I was the one that was least likely to uh, uh, anyone could ever, you know, see me being a law enforcement officer. I was that 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 one that didn't make the great grades. I was the one that always stayed in trouble. You know, if there was any one of my mother's children that probably should have, that, that may have ended up in prison, it would have been me. So, so you know, but uh, you know, God had a different calling for me, had a different path. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up uh, going into police work at a young age. My brothers are all both very successful. And, uh, you know, now we, uh, look after our parents. Are, they're not in, in law enforcement? No, no. I was the only one that, uh, of my mother's children that went to into law enforcement. Um, how long were you on the force before you became a homicide detective? What, what made you, and what made you want to become one in general? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so going into law enforcement and, and having a mother like mine, uh, who was very well known, very well respected uh, within the department. I wanted to carve my own way uh, and, and and not walk. You know, I, I'm going to have to walk in her footsteps, but I wanted to carve my own way. And one thing that she never wanted to be was an investigator. You know, she always loved school resources. She always loved being, you know, a supervisor, things of that nature. So and she was great at everything she did. Uh, so me... I wanted a different path. So, you know, I went into law enforcement uh, at 21 and I did about five years in patrol. And my my time in patrol was probably some of the greatest times that I've had in police work. But uh, after about five years in patrol, uh, I think the year I, I hired on in 1995, that was four years. I hired on in 1995. In 1999, I was promoted to uh uh, which I did a little stint in, in narcotics. Narcotics really wasn't for me. Uh, but uh, I ended up getting promoted into our burglary unit. And from there in 1990, 1999, I want to say it was. Uh, and and from 1999 all the way up to, wow, uh, 2000 and 
2011 or 12, I, I was in investigations. I, you know, I moved around to several different units, but I went to homicide in 2005 and stayed there until I was promoted to sergeant in 2011. I spent the most time at homicide. Did you, were you gunning for homicide? Like was that was like, or just absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, absolutely. Homicide, it, w w the way that we run out, we run out department different than a lot of police, some police departments, I won't say a lot, but some of the big police departments, you know, we have investigators that we have burglary investigators, then we have robbery investigators, and then we have homicide. And it, you know, we have it, investigators that specialize in certain types of crime. So, whereas most, you know, police departments don't work like that. If you work burglaries, if you're, you're a detective, you work all of them, burglaries, robberies, and homicide. We didn't work like that. So I knew pretty early in my career uh, that homicide was where I wanted to be. It was the tip of the spear. Uh, as far as investigators, they were always the sharpest. They were always the most cutting. They were always the, they were the, you know, the guys that I came up under, they were the guys that you wanted to be uh, 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 in police work. So I always knew I wanted to go to homicide, but I was young and I, I went into investigations that, I mean, I was probably in my early twenties and I think I got promoted to homicide right at about 20, you know, 28, 29 years old. I want to say, can't remember exactly, but yeah, it was, I was pretty young in, in police work and, you know, seeing all of that in a young husband, a young father, you know, I got kids, you know, I got babies now, you know, and, 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 and it, as a homicide investigator, you spend a lot of time at work, a lot of time at work, missing out on football games and having to leave out of your daughter's ballet practice or their, their recitals, you know, because you're getting that call. But I was driven, man. And now I, I, I wanted, this is something that I wanted to do. So for, from the time that I was at homicide, uh, and, and it happened a lot when I was in, in, in robbery and burglary too. But when I was in homicide, my wife was almost a single white, you know, she had to raise our kids. She had to go and do all of it, handle the house and everything. You know, so, I, uh, so yeah, but it, 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 but it was a great time in my career. I, I wouldn't, I, there are certain parts of it. I wish I could do over again, but I wouldn't trade it for, for the world. That experience is, it was amazing for me. Do you have, are there any cases that stand out that? Jerry, I, I got plenty of them, man. I got plenty of cases that, 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 uh, stand out to me. I've, I've worked, I've worked almost nothing, nothing that you could show me, uh, in a crime scene would surprise me. So I've, I've worked everything from child murders, children being, you know, slain and, and, and then all the way up to, you know, elderly people being, being, uh, you know, murdered and thrown out on the side of a road. So, uh, I've got plenty of cases that, that really, uh, touched that affected me in, in different ways. Uh, and that's one thing that I love about homicide. No two days are the same. Never. It, it's never the same. And that's, that's what some of the things that where a lot of investigators get burned out because, you know, it's just the monotony of everything that's happening. But you can never say that when you're a homicide investigator. You know, no two days are the same. So uh, I had a case that I actually wrote about in my book called The Case. Uh, and, and, and I talk a little bit about how I, you know, 
move through our police department. I talked about how the impact that my mother had on me as a as an investigator, as a young, you know, police officer. And I talk about this one particular case that uh, I investigated uh, here in Birmingham. And it's a true story. I mean, you know, some I changed a lot of the names and things of that nature in the case. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a, a real case that actually happened here in Birmingham. It, it, it was the, the, the investigation, uh, what happened during the investigation, the, the, the drive, and, you know, it almost, working that case almost cost me you know, while I got it solved, got the people arrested, got justice for my victim, I almost lost everything that was important to me. That's my wife, my kids, my family. Uh, you know, but it, it was just, it was one of those things that that just happened, man. And it, and it helped me after working that, that, that particular case, it helped me become a better father, a better husband, and a better detective also. What was the case? What, what happened? Okay, so I, I'll tell you about it, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, during that time, my wife and I were on a, you know, we were on a rough patch. I was kind of new at homicide. I had been in homicide for maybe a year or so. And, you know, I'm still trying to make my way. I'm trying to, you know, learn, get, gather all this information and, and, and learn how to do this job as well as I could. And I had gotten a pr- pretty good go at it. Uh, and, uh, but during that time, I, you know, I kind of left my wife and all my kids and they, you know, I wasn't, wasn't around like I should have been. And, and, and she had gotten fed up. And plus, you know, I was doing all kinds of other stuff. You know, I, I wasn't the most, uh, you know, faithful guy, let's put it like that. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it happens like that. So, uh, we get out and, um, my wife, I, I come into the house and, I, and she's, uh, she's already tired. Cause I told her I was coming home and, Ended up not getting home for hours. My kids were waiting up for me. She had made dinner for me. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm sick of it right now. So I, I go upstairs, you know, I talk to my kids for a little while, have, eat my food, and me and her are about to get into an argument, and I get a call. Now, the, I'll tell you what what uh, what really helped me to become, re- really why this case was so touching to me. So I get a call uh, out of, that a young lady's been, a young girl has been murdered, uh, and uh, they asked me to come out to the crime scene, which I'm going to go anyway because I'm the lead investigator that night. Uh, get out to the crime scene, and I'm looking at this vehicle. This this vehicle this is a say like a 2004, 2005 BMW. It's lodged up on the side of a wall, and the tires are still engaged because the victim. She's been shot inside of her vehicle and she tried to drive away from her attacker and he shot one time through the car, strikes her in the back of her head and she dies instantly. So she's the car ended up wrecking and it's lodged on the side of a wall and we couldn't get it out of uh, out of gear uh, before I got out there. And, you know, until we could take some precautions to not screw up the crime scene. Excuse me. Excuse me. At any rate, uh, I get out to the crime scene and, uh, and the whole while there, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I need to try to straighten this stuff out with my wife because I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as a father. I know that I'm not being a husband. I should be. So I get out to the crime scene and I, I'm not spending enough time with my kids. And those were the most important things of my life. Get out to the crime scene and I'm taking down my notes. And 
I'm looking in the car at the victim. Now they've got everything set up to where I can get close enough to it and, and take down my notes before they remove the body from the car. And uh, I'm writing down my notes and the guy, I asked the guy, I said, what's her name? And he says, Kayla. And I stopped for a second, you know, her name is what? Kayla. My daughter's name is Kayla. This young lady is not too much older than my daughter. So from that point, you know, I, I'm already struck because I hadn't spent any time with my kids. You know, I'm already going through this, this, this mental thing that we go through as, as homicide investigators, you know, uh, and from that point on, everything that I saw, everything that I did, every picture that I looked at, I didn't see my victim's face. I saw my own child's face. And I thought about everything that was going, that was happening about, you know, how I wasn't spending any time with her. And I thought about my victim's family, you know, how they let that daughter go out of the house just for a few minutes, you know, a couple of hours. And now she'll never be seen again. I didn't want to be like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I started working this case and, and it was like investigating my own, my own child's murder, murder. You know, I, I, I picked up a, a, a really good relationship with my victim's mom, which I talked to her and her, her brother. And uh, I don't talk to her father as much, but I talked to, you know, my victim's mom and brother. He, we're friends today uh, and they know my kids. They, they, my, the, their, her, her family and I, we just kind of connected, you know, uh, and, and I, I think that connection was brought about by one of the most traumatic events that any person could experience, and that's murder. So, uh, you know, and I'm just giving you a preface of the case. I don't want to tell you everything that happened. But yeah, man, it, it was one of, it, working that case helped me to realize that every day is special. Every day you need to do something to make tomorrow better. So I started after I finished the case up, I mean, you know, if you if you're interested in seeing seeing the book or reading the book, it's on Amazon now. It's been doing book sales have been doing pretty well, but I you know I always can use another person buy one more book. So uh yeah uh it, it's a it, I take you through all the emotions that I went through, and I take you through everything that was happening with me and my wife and my kids during that time. You know the nights that I left and slept in my office and. You know, the nights of being out on the streets uh, or or trying to, you know, be at home and s- spend time with my kids. But mentally, I'm not there. You know, I'm physically there. Mentally, I'm still at work trying to find these fuckers that kill my, my, my child. You know, so. Yeah, it's it. That's a that's a lot of of. of there's a lot of PTSD that happens with with law enforcement that a lot of people don't know about. A lot of people don't talk about. And it goes, some of it comes about by some of the things that you see here and do on a daily basis. And I think that's what happened with me during that time. Do you know how many cases you work? Yes. Yeah. So I, um, so I've investigated, I think last count where I led, I've, I've led in over a hundred cases, um, the last count of cases that I've, you know, I've investigated murder cases that I've investigated were over 300. And it may not sound like a lot, but that's a lot. Yeah, that's that it sounds like a lot. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, like, what are our, 
trying to think what are the more complicated cases the more complicated so because most aren't most murders like it's kind of random it just happened it gets out of control or to me like if someone really methodically thought out the crime like that's a difficult case right so the ones they're all difficult in some way shape or form even some of the ones that would most people would think are easier cases, the domestic violence type cases. What's going on YouTube? RDAP Dan here, Federal Prison Time Consulting. Hope you guys are all having a great day. If you're seeing and hearing this right now, that means you're watching Matt Cox on Inside True Crime. At the end of Matt's video, there will be a link in the description where you can book a free consultation with yours truly, RDAP Dan, where we can discuss things that could potentially mitigate your circumstances to receive the best possible outcome at sentencing or even after you've started your prison sentence. Prior to sentencing, we can focus on things like your personal narrative, your character reference letters, prepping you properly for the pre-sentence interview, which is going to determine a lot of what type of sentence you receive. If you've already been sentenced, we can also focus on the residential drug abuse program, how you can knock off one year off of your sentence. Also, we have the First Step Act where you can earn FSA credits while serving your sentence. For every 30 days that you program through the FSA, you can actually knock an additional 15 days off per month. These are huge benefits, and the only way you're going to find out more is by clicking on the link and booking your free consultation today. All right, guys, see you soon at the end of the video. Peace. I'm out of here. Back to you, Matt. So here's the thing when you think about homicide investigations. The one thing that's helped me out the most is almost three quarters of the murders that happen in the U.S., they happen, they are caused by someone that has a relationship with the victim. You know, that there's some sort of relationship, some sort of connection with the victim. You know, most murders are not random acts of violence. The majority of them are not. So when you deal with homicides, if you go into it with that mindset, uh, you can usually maneuver through you and, and you know how to take your your investigation. It, it all starts with the with the the, the background of the victim. The vic it's called victimology. Uh, and I don't think enough uh, schools teach enough about victimology and learning victimology because especially when it comes to homicide investigations, because like I just said, three quarters of every case that you'll work in this country are caused by are committed by someone that's connected to your victim. So uh, so, yeah, they're all complex in, in that that sense, because you have to unravel each piece. It's like a like a onion. you know, you have to peel back so many layers until you get to where, what actually, the root cause of what happened. And usually, nine times out of 10, it's usually something, uh, someone that's connected to a victim. So yeah, they, they are all, but, they, but they're all, they all have a level of complexity that uh, you know, only, you can only understand it if you've been through it or, or conducted a homicide investigation. Do you, I mean, so do you, but do you have any one in particular that's interesting, that, that was complicated that you, eventually put it together for some, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the ones that, that are, are, are usually the most complex are your serial cases. Uh, and I've only had one of those because those are not usually your serial cases are not, you know, they're not, how can I put, they are those random acts of violence. Right. This person, this person sees someone that they think would make would become a they, they could be an easy target. They do whatever, you know, and they commit the murder. 
So those are those are the ones that you have to that are, are extremely hard to put together because it usually takes a lot of working, moving parts. Uh, and I had one like that. Uh, and this one wasn't. Yeah, this one was it, it was kind of random, but there was a connection between the victim and the suspect. So I had this young girl. Uh, she was 17 years old at the time that she was murdered. Uh, so here's the scenario. Her and her mom had been on a, on, on some really bad terms. Uh, and when she gets out of school, she was responsible for going to her mom's job, sitting down with her for about two or three hours, and, and uh, then riding home with her mom from work because her mom just didn't trust her in the house by herself. She was a little bit promiscuous. So... Uh, on this particular day, this girl had been on punishment for uh, on this punishment that her mama had, you know, enforced on her. She was had to get off the bus and come to sit up there with her uh, at work until her mom got off, and then her mom would take her home. But on this day, uh, the mom said allows her to go on home, you know, go to the house a little bit early because she was going. Her mom had to work some overtime, and this young lady had to do some homework, so she allowed her to go home. Uh, mom comes home about four hours later, finds her daughter. She's been murdered. Uh, uh, and her, 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 she had been strangled to death. Uh, and then the suspect cut her throat. And he cut her throat after she was murdered. Her body was positioned and posed in a way that, you know, it wouldn't have happened if, you know, it, it wasn't just random. You could tell that the body had composed. Uh, so the way that she was posed, it led me to believe that, you know, it was somebody that was kind of close to her. She had a boyfriend who, uh, I had some witnesses who said that, you know, they had seen the guy lurking around the house earlier that day. Uh, and, uh, so I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is my guy. I need to go pick him up. You know, he's where I need to start. Pick the guy up bring him in for questioning. He doesn't confess or doesn't admit to anything. But I get the witnesses uh, in who says that, okay, they can identify him as the person that was lurking around the house that day. But nothing, uh, that was it. You know, he was very convincing in the interview room. And I didn't feel right about putting him in jail at that moment. The mom was pissed off. She was totally pissed off with me. I didn't feel right about putting him in jail. So I didn't. Uh, and, and I didn't have enough probable cause to charge him with anything, but I, you know, you know, I said, let's just give me time. I'm going to work this case and, and, and I'll find out who's responsible. If it's him and he's going to jail, if it's not him, let me find out who's responsible. I worked that case for three years, three years. I mean, and, and doing something on it, at least every, uh, uh, on a daily basis or going back out to the crime scene, you know, talking to people that knew the girl. Uh, and, uh, this is during a time where DNA evidence wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Like you can do DNA tests and get it back within a couple of hours now, you know, back then it took months, it took years sometimes, and you couldn't even get it unless you had, you know, a suspect. So at any rate, uh, during those three years, a lot of things happened and, and, you know, that that's when DNA and, and the collection of it and processing of it went into overdrive. So uh, what here in Alabama, which they've done now nationwide, they started taking 
samples, DNA samples from everyone that was in prison. Yeah. So uh, when I first started this case, you know, we never, we didn't, they didn't do that. But I had DNA that was connected to this victim. So at any rate, uh, three years later, I get a DNA hit from this guy, a completely random guy. The mom, nobody knew that the victim and this guy had been seeing each other or had been talking on the phone or anything like that. Uh, she had, and actually, they had just met earlier that day. Uh, and she ended up brought, bringing him back to the house, and uh, he ended up was the one that was responsible for the murder. He was in prison for murdering another young woman that happened in another municipality, just you know, a few miles away from where my my department was. And uh, you know, I went over and talked to him. He wouldn't talk to me, but I had the DNA evidence, you know, against him. He, he had gotten life in prison for the uh for the other young girl's murder because he did her almost in actuality he had he, he got convicted before I even knew he was responsible for my murder. He had been convicted of two murders. So that's why it became a serial case. He had killed three young ladies over the span of about I wanna say it was over about the span of a year and uh the only thing that connected him in my case was the DNA evidence, and he had no reason to be at the house. It was in her vagina, and uh, yeah, you know, he, he had uh, he was responsible for that murder. Uh, and and no, those are some of the cases that you know it was it was completely random. There was nothing that that suggested this girl and this guy had a connection, uh, and and that makes it extremely hard when you're investigating homicide cases. It's just those random acts of violence. Yeah, I was gonna say the the serial killers. You know, that that is the whole thing. They there's some long distance truck driver. They swing yeah. into it and they'll go after somebody who's vulnerable anyway, a prostitute or somebody. Yeah. Get in the car. Nobody sees them get in the car. They find the body. Like how the, how are you gonna how are you gonna track this back to one of the ten thousand right. uh, truck stops? That boy that drove right. drove through through that date. Ten thousand trucks that drove through. That right. Day. Yes, that's exactly right. It's Without exactly something right. like DNA, that's why they get away with so many. Mm-hmm. I, I always love the books. Um, have you ever read James uh, Patterson, where he's got uh, Detective Cross? Uh huh. Is yeah. the, the homicide yeah. So yeah, I forget the name of his like nemesis, but they always make him seem so you know course he's he's a sadist but you know they always make him seem so brilliant and so and he thought everything through and the the truth is most of these guys they're just they're you know not not that they're stupid but they're they're so over or so driven by just you know instinct and they they make huge mistakes but they get away with it because there's like you said there's typically no connection between them and the victim. So even though they made all these major mistakes, the truth is, is it's just difficult to pin them down. And eventually it's got to take something like, like DNA and they're already got five convictions and they go ahead and admit to another 10 because they know they're about to be put into the electric chair or something. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, look, it's, it's complex within itself, but I think the technology and investigations has helped us out a lot as, as detectives, but, 
You cannot beat a good detective that's just going to get out there and beat the pavement and, and talk to people and be able to communicate with people. Well, I was going to say, even, even with cameras being everywhere, you still have to go to the bank. You still have to go to the convenience store. You still have to go and, you know, you still have to, it's still all that running around to say, well, if he went this way, he probably would have crossed this liquor store and they've got a camera. So let's go there. You still have right. to put all those things together. Then you have to sit there and look through 12 hours of tape or 120 hours of tape or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, everything, it's just, um, I was going to say, it's like, uh, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I've talked to a bunch of law enforcement. They're like, it's, it's just like extreme boredom, boredom with these spikes of right. adrenaline. It's right. like being a soldier. It's like you're nothing happens for, you know, three months straight. And then you're in a battle for four days straight and it's just exhausting. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. As you say, I was in, um, you know, I, I, when I was locked up and I would do all this research on guys and I'd order the freedom of information act, like mm -hmm. it would be hours and hours of printing documents, paperwork, ordering docket sheets, reordering documents. And then the spike in adrenaline would be, you get mail and you open up the transcript and on page seven, you're like, Oh, oh. You're running around. I, I, I would feel like I had solved the case. I would run around <laughs> going, oh my gosh, she was driving the same black horse family You know, whatever it was. No. It always works out like that, man. You know, we, we would have, there would be days, like we would, we would be going for, for two or three days. I remember I had a case on First 48 a couple of years. Well, it was probably, uh, oh man, this was in... 2010, I want to say it was. This was on. This case was on first 48. Man, we had. Uh, I mean, during initial phases of the investigation. So what happened was we had this victim that was uh, inside of her home. Some guys break in on her and uh, you know, put her down on the ground and ended up shoot, killing her, murdering her inside of her house. And then the store and got gas and poured gas all around the house. Set the house on fire. Tried to burn the body up. Dumbest thing ever. Uh, and and uh, so during the initial phases of the investigation, you know, I thought it was just going to be a random, I mean, a, a completely, you know, kind of normal, if that's a word that you can use in homicide cases, which you normally can't use. I thought it was just going to be a, like a routine investigation. So um, while we're out on the scene, some of the family members come to the house and uh, they they start asking about the woman's child. They said her child should have been in the, inside of the house, and we hadn't seen a child. And there's not a child inside of the house. So now the case switches from just a routine investigation to now we are looking for an abducted child. So we just we go we run for hours and hours and hours, and then we ended up locating the child, you know, at, at a at a at a friend of hers house. So. You know, and and then we go back into the routine of investigating the case, and maybe two or three hours after after that, we get a big lead of where the victim's property may have been or whatever. You know, we run and and go start investigating that portion. So that's a, that's you're you're very right that that's the 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 the. the the, the ups and downs of a homicide investigation. You know, you sometimes you move a little bit slow. Sometimes you're running your tail off for hours and hours. Uh, sometimes you're running your tail off for days, you know, and 
It's that's the way it, it works. You got to be able to adjust your body and your mindset to doing it like that. Uh, um, man, I was gonna, I, I, you had said something and shoot. Now I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, oh, no, it was, we've, we used to always joke, um, about, you know, your, your co-defendant getting arrested. Mm. And it was always like, well, you know, you, you, you know, you're always going to say something. No, he's not going to say nothing. No, he'll say something. No, he won't. And, and, and I tell you, you've seen 40, uh, you've seen the first 48. They're all talking. They're all going to like, you know, every one of the gangsters that walks in there ends up crying his eyes out within two hours and saying, you know, oh, you don't understand. And so. That, I'm glad you brought that up because that reminds me uh, that this, the, it actually it was the same case I just told you about. You know, when I got the guys that were responsible for the murder, uh, got him into the room. There was one guy, I can't remember what his name was. Jeez, I can't remember this joke. But he ticked me out so bad. Uh, he was just the uh, hard and he wanted to be so hard. I was like, look, man, you charged with capital murder. You know, capital murder, you don't, you don't believe that yourself. I'm too pretty to go to jail. Like, oh, okay. This is what he's saying, and and the camera crew they they get all that they eat that shit up, you know. So they they get all of it on camera and they post it on on the uh, on the show. And I'm like, I was ticked off about that case myself because you know they what they didn't show was two days after he's charged now, and now he's over at the county jail. And he's had his preliminary hearing, and you know they're not letting him go. He doesn't have a bond. He got to sit there until a trial. Because he's charged with capital murder, it's starting to sink in. Uh, yeah, yeah, in a in a in a big way. I got call after call after call from jail people saying, "Hey, hey, hey, uh, Detective Anderson, he wants to talk to you." And the same guy that walked out of my office saying that I'm too pretty to go to jail, you don't believe that yourself, you know, he's all big, man, bold, sat right there. And told me the entire thing of how this robbery went down, you know, and it was too late then because his partner had already snitched on everybody and told everybody, you know, what had happened. But yeah, uh, he he told everybody. He told he sat there and tried to confess to everything, and then he tried to withdraw his confession later on. But you know, that's a whole other story. But the point that I want to make is. On First 48 and all these other shows, they try to seem so hard, so violent. But when you get them in that room, in that box, that's what we called it, the box. When you get them in the box, 90% of them break down and will tell every single thing that happened. They will tell you things that you weren't even investigating. You know, they'll tell you about crimes that they've committed that you didn't even know that they were responsible for. You know, just to get out of that, especially when it comes to murder. If they committed robberies, oh my God. They will tell you about 30 robberies that they committed that they can get out of this homicide that they look at it. But I mean, at, at what, so if you just killed, so like, you can't possibly think you're going to, you're going to talk your way out of it. I mean, they do that. I mean, that's your, that's how that face tells me, well, they do, they try. I mean, you know, you think about it. So I, I the way our criminal justice system is set up in most states, I know in Alabama it is. Alabama wants the most culpable person. They want the person that, that who was the one that actually pulled the trigger, who was the mastermind behind it. 
So if you come in and you're the first person to say, well, he was the mastermind behind it and this is how we did it. You know, uh, sometimes they are more lenient towards you in your sentencing phase. Right. So, you know, look, a lot of people will say, don't, you know, don't, don't go in and talk to the police. Uh, okay. Yeah. You have a right to not make any, any statements uh, 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 to your, to, to law enforcement. That's your, that's your constitutional right set out by the government of the United States of America. But if you are involved in the case and sometimes you know, you, you might want to, if you're not as, as culpable as the next person, first off, you don't want to do the crime. Just don't do the crime. Right. You know, right. that that's the first thing. But if you're involved and you know, look, there's a lot of deals being slung around, especially if you're with someone that, that if you are a co-defendant, this co-defendant is nine times out of 10, co-defendant is going to talk. They're going to talk. I mean, so if you're not about that life, don't do the crime. But, you know, and if you if you if you're not about that life, don't do the crime with somebody else. You know, that's probably some of the best advice I can give. Um, it's funny. I always it, so listen. I'll tell you something you might find funny. And anybody like watching this, these guys have heard heard me talk about this before. So, you know, I have all all these. I've done all these podcasts, right? So you've got a, all the scammers out there think that I'm you know, like a, the scam guru, or I'm going to, I'm going to make them rich or, you know, they need to hook up with me or talk to me or something. And I, you know, I would get these emails offering me money if I just talked to them and I'm like, you know, no, no. And I actually had a guy one time who, you know, was texting me just kind of like on a, Hey, I watch your stuff. I like your stuff. I, you know, so we're going back and forth. So you, you, even though I've never met the guy, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say necessarily a friendship but you know you respond well at some point this is we're talking about months later six months later of talking on and off um he he flies to tampa he tells me hey i'm actually i have I, my girlfriend lives in tampa we're going down there okay hey i'd love to buy you some a uh, starbucks okay i'll meet you for starbucks so i meet him and he tells me he tells me listen i wanted to fly down and he, he'd been locked up before too in, uh, in New York. And he said, look, I, I was locked up in New York. You know, like I, I did like, I forget three or four years. I never told on nobody. I'm like, okay. And he's like, so I wanted to come down. I wanted to let you know that, you know, I'm a solid guy. And I was like, okay. Uh, and, and he said, uh, but I need some help, man. Like if I could, you know, if you could help me out, like if I could get like half a million, I forget what the amount was. He actually had like a specific amount, like 400,000 or something. He said, you can help me get 400,000. You can help me get 800. He's like, I'll split it with you. He said, all you got to do is tell me how to do it. I'll go in the bank. I'll go and sign the papers. I'll do this. I'll do that. And he's going on and on and on. I'm like, right, right, right. And I said, okay. And I said, and well, you understand? I said, I'm, I'm basically already. Well, I said, once you get caught, I'm already on the indictment. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, he goes, no, man, I would never say nothing. I would, I'll just take it. I'll, if, if I, I said, no, 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 let me explain something. I said, let's say you never bring my name up. Once they grab you, I said, and they will grab you. I said, so they're, they're going to get you. I said, you're going to tell someone. No, I would never tell somebody. I said, stop something. You're going to tell somebody. You're going to brag. It's going to get, it's going to, it's going to end up connecting to you somehow. I said, you know what they're going to do? They're going to pull your phone records. 
They're going to see that we've spoken on the phone. They're going to see that there's text messages. They're going to look me up. They're going to go into a grand jury. They're going to add my name to the conspiracy or to the list of conspirators. I said, because this is something I'm known for. I said, so they're not going, I said, it doesn't, they're going to read my record. They're going to read the transcripts. They're going to see that you, you've come down here. They're going to see that both our phones were at our Starbucks for 45 minutes. I said that you flew back the same day. And then three months later, there was, you stole a million dollars. I said, I'm already done. I said, and you know what? I said, I can't even go to trial because I can't take the stand in my own defense. I said, because I've got a history. So I have to sit there while they read off all these things and they allege that I've done something, even though right now I'm telling you, get on the plane and fly back to New York. I said, that's just the way it is. I said, I'm already done. I said, so I don't need to give them any additional information. And I said, that, I said, and that is even, that's if you keep your mouth shut. And the truth is, I said, once you're locked up and they say, look, you can get two years. You're looking at eight now. You'll get two. We know Cox. All you have to do is say that he helped you. Yeah, like, and that's for, it. yeah. And we, I literally got up and we left. And and he was going, no, no. I was like, stop. So you don't understand how the electronic surveillance alone connects everybody. If I was on the jury, I wouldn't think I wasn't a part of it. Right. Yeah. So, so it's it's, you know, it's tough. It's very real. It's very. It's, it's happened to all multiple cases too. I mean, the case that uh, the case that I wrote about in my book. You know, that were even though I I only uh, you know where I was able to indict the people that were responsible for her murders. There were a lot of other names that came up in connection to these guys that you know we found information that helped close other cases on. I mean, people don't understand. I guess, you know, some people see television and they think that, you know, when an investigator is working a case, that's the only case that they work. And that's just not true. I mean, I, I found that the guys that we that I arrested for Kayla's murder, they were responsible for. Twelve other carjackings, because that's how she got murdered. They, they were trying to uh, carjack her vehicle. And uh, they were responsible for 12 other car, uh, carjackings, but there were other people, you know, sometimes it would be those three. Sometimes it would be two of those guys and another guy, you know, uh, or sometimes it'd be just one and a, one guy and two other people. But a lot of those folks got charged because, you know, when we work cases like this, we don't just work that one particular case is there are multiple other cases that we usually get closed with every homicide investigation. Yeah. I was going to say that's, it, it's funny. That's like committing a crime. And let's say I commit the perfect, me and three guys, we go and we commit this perfect little conspiracy. We get a couple million dollars. We're thrilled. We, we, we walk away. That's great. I, you walk away or I walk away, but then two years later, one of those guys commits a crime and it's serious. And he says, you know, and the detective says, look, you can help yourself out. Like you could do five years or you could do, you could do one year, yeah. you know, you know, anything. Well, you know what? Yeah. They're going to take the deal. Right. they got to be in prison for a long period of time. So the best thing to do is don't do the crime. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's insanity now. Nowadays, there's the, the technology, DNA, 
cameras, everything. It's yeah. it's rough. You know, I, I and you know, I, I need to make sure I, I say this. I you know, I love the way the technology has helped out investigations. It's not a, but it's not a end all be all, especially DNA. You know, with the way that they are collecting it now, it's actually become kind of dangerous, in my opinion, uh, in, in certain aspects that is, you know, because like uh, there's no way you can go in any place and not leave something of you in that place. I'm talking about like the restaurants, you know, you know your friend's house. Yeah, uh, 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 there, there are certain uh, uh, investigative theories and not theory, they're actually facts that, that say that, you know, each time you enter in a room, uh, you take something away and you leave something there. So uh, uh, with that premise and the way that DNA is being collected, you know, it can become dangerous. Uh, and and uh, we've seen that in, in some of the cases that I've investigated, especially some of the cases we looked into on reasonable doubt. I was gonna say, uh, what, what was the term transference? Where you yeah, transference? Yeah, that 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 theory is is the it's called the Lacar principle, but uh, yeah, it, it that that's what he speaks of. It's 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 um, especially like uh, your skin cells from your hand and things of that nature that can be pulled. You know, you need a a, a minimal amount of skin cells can be pulled, and and you can get a DNA profile from it. And, and that becomes kind of dangerous because if, you know, if you find someone's uh, DNA inside of a certain area where it shouldn't have been or inside of a crime scene and it comes back to a certain person, that doesn't mean that that person is responsible for that murder. That means that you need to look at that person and either eliminate them or find enough evidence that convicts them. And uh, it, we've had cases where some of that evidence has been wrongfully I was I was gonna say there was the uh, this was recently I want to say like a, maybe a week or so ago uh, a buddy of mine uh, mentioned it to me that some guy had committed a murder and his one of his family members had gone on ancestry DNA yep. and uploaded yep. their their DNA and they were like look a relative of this guy's yep. committed that murder and so they sure enough they the detectives did connected it all and said okay boom that's our guy that's the next door neighbor and a week after the killing he moved across the country mm -hmm. you know yeah like, there have been a couple of cases i've researched uh one of them was ah man Upson. it was i think it was a murder that, that uh, or a serial killer and uh i think it was like california or something like that uh that they were able to connect his uh his dna or a uh, 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 a close relative of his, they were able to connect his DNA to those murders. You know, I never got lucky enough to do nothing like that. Because Jesus Christ, that that would that would have been easy. But you know, yeah, it's uh oh, I'll, it, yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll bet that was still that was still a lot of phone calls, a lot of filling, yeah. a lot of ways, yeah. a lot of you know, somebody absolutely. had absolutely, and somebody had to put that together. Somebody has to be couple of guys got to be sitting in a room with their banging their head against the wall and somebody says you know what yep. this is a long shot yeah but what if we did this so i'll bet you know first they run the dna through it and then they go ah well let's see if we can get a relative maybe he didn't do it he's not gonna upload his DNA. maybe a relative okay run it again yeah yeah it, yeah it, it is uh 
yeah, the technology and investigations has, has completely gone just way in, in, in a direction that me, when I was working cases, I never would have imagined it doing something like that. But I wish I had it because there, there are a lot of cases that I, well, I, guess, well, I, I left quite a few cases that were, uh, uh, that I would love to see solved, uh, finished, you know, a lot, uh, quite a few. So what are, what are you doing now? So right now, I I serve as the uh, chief of police at Talladega College. It's my alma mater. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, all campus police departments have their own particular police departments. Uh, and I was, you know, I was blessed enough to get the opportunity to go back and work at my, my, my institution uh, after I retired from, you know, law enforcement and uh and uh, there was a change in the, in, in the uh, leadership. So they asked me to come on and see if I could uh, help out the, with the security measures there. And I, I love policing at a college. It's much different than, you know, what I'm used to. So, uh, you know, now it's more mentorship than enforcement, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm an instructor. There. I also teach uh, criminal investigations there at the college. Oh. Okay. That- Perfect. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great rise since retiring. Um, okay. So any, no, in any, any, so there was the, you were on the first 48 mm-hmm. and, um, then you did reasonable doubt. Was that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My memory's horrible. So uh, reasonable doubt. So, I mean, are there, are, are there any other projects along those lines, like are, that you're looking at or, or pitching or thinking about? So, uh, I don't think that we're done with reasonable doubt. I, I think that that show was so beyond its time. Uh, there have been certain television shows that have tried to do something like a reasonable doubt, but I just think that the way that we did it was, uh, it, it was great. It wasn't just television. It's really, <laughs> We were trying to right some of the wrongs that happened within our criminal justice system. Uh, it was just way it was way more than just television for me. So uh, I would love to see uh, if we could to try to get you know another show kind of like Reasonable Doubt back all. Uh, but you know, other than that, that you know, that's that's all I'm I'm doing. Uh, I, I I make appearances. I've made several appearances on. Uh, all kinds of news, all, all the news media stations, uh, as an expert in, in criminal investigations and homicide investigations. Uh, and, uh, I've made several appearances on different crime shows, uh, uh, you know, to talk that as an expert also, but as far as a, a television show that, you know, I have a few things that are in the works, nothing, nothing major, but I would love to get back on television. Okay. Any any new books you're working on? Yeah, I'm actually I actually am uh, uh, this fall. I am working on a book called "Man, You Are Crazy." I am uh, co-authoring that book with a guy that I think you're familiar with, Evan Dawson, Katie. Uh, yeah, that's my book. That's my dude, man. Katie and I uh, we actually met on the uh, media circuit doing podcasts and. Uh, and uh, our publicists put us together, man, to talk about some of uh, some of the PTSD that's involved in law enforcement, which is never, it's never 
uh, uh, really looked into and actually it's actually shunned upon them to even mention that you may have received some PTSD from working at law enforcement. But our goal is to destigmatize that, destigmatize that 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 mindset because I believe that you respond to PTSD. People respond to PTSD in different ways, and uh, you know if you don't get help for it, don't understand how to navigate through it. Uh, you usually respond in a negative way. So uh, that's our goal uh, to 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 write the book, help to destigmatize uh, and, and and talk about. You know, how can we go about destigmatizing the mindset that PTSD does exist in law enforcement and we need to do more in order to 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 solve the problem? I, I did. I interviewed both of them. OK, uh, we all went to dinner. Uh, he met my wife. Uh, yeah. Who else was there? Uh, gosh, John A. Light was there. So was um, Mike Dowd. Do you know who that is? Yeah, Mike Dowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he was there. Um and uh, there was a bunch of people there. So we all had dinner. And then I, I, we did the podcast, I think, the next day. And uh, listen, what a horrible podcast. Like, I mean, they're in tears. I'm in tears. Like, I'm borderline, I borderline cry most of the day anyway, just in general. You yeah. know, and, and these two guys, you know, they're, they're tearing up and I'm tearing up. It was, just, it was, after an hour, it was like I, I, I typically in the middle of the day, like don't want to take a Like, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, Oh, I'm going to go take a nap. Like, I mean, I wanted to go crawl in bed and just sleep for like two yeah. hours. It's emotionally draining. Yeah. 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 Katie is my guy, man. He, he's a good, he's a really good guy. Real police. I flew up to uh, his city a couple months ago to do his podcast, man. And it was, uh, it was a great experience. I love, I love doing this studio stuff. I just, you know, unfortunately I just, you know, it takes a lot of time out of my, out of my schedule to, to, to fly up and do things. Yeah. He, he, a couple of months ago, he asked me, well, Hey, when are you going to be in, in, in New York? I think it's in New York, right? Or New Jersey, New York, Jersey. Well, yeah. So he asked me, well, are you going to be up here anytime soon? I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, right, like no. Like, yeah. Anyway, I just go to, I just go to Jersey all the time. No. Yeah. Like how, how is that? Um, it's funny because I actually have another podcast I need to do. I I, I got to see. The problem is, it's, I don't know. There's actually like three podcasts in that general area. The problem with that general area, in my mind, you know, New York City and the, that general area is not that big. But the the truth, it but it is big. It, there's like three, you know, like from one podcast, like New Jersey to you know. There's like this, uh, this guy. So I, I tracked it. I went on Google maps and said, okay, this guy's address is this, this, well, that's four hours. Like, and this guy's an hour and 45 minutes. Like I been two days driving. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it's huge. You know, I specifically went up there to do his podcast, shoot some video and stuff like that and promos for the book. But, you know, once I was done, I was like, dude, I'm ready to go. I got to get out of here. Yeah. But it was it was good to see him get good to spend some time with him. That's my that's my dog, man. Did you go to? Um, have you ever, you ever been to New York City? Yeah. You probably yeah, get I I only went like a year ago. Like, okay. I've never been. Yeah, so uh, we actually filmed. Uh, we've we we've done two or three episodes of Reasonable Doubt in New York City. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's listen. I I went. So I don't know if you know anything about Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. 
there's an area of Florida called Okeechobee, uh-huh. Lake, Lake Okeechobee and the big lake in Florida. It, and it's a little kind of a podunk kind of area. Familiar, very familiar with Okeechobee. Okay. Well, my <laughs> wife, my wife grew up there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So my wife's almost only been out of Florida once or twice, uh-huh. like Pennsylvania, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Um, and so she and I went to New York. I'd, I'd been in New York, but it was like upstate New York. So that's, that's not, you know, that's not New yeah. York city. We went to New York city. I mean, we went to, um, you know, times square, the whole thing. Yeah. Listen, driving through that city. I'm from Tampa. Tampa is about like, like, um, Birmingham. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's like, there's like, there's like 12 buildings, you know, that are maybe 30, 40 stories high. It's like, they're pretty, but it's just pretty much in comparison to New York. Like it's, you're driving through those It's just, it's building after building after building after building. It's, 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 it goes and goes and goes, and it's like, this is insanity. It is. It is. It's hard for us as Southerners to 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 really get the full scale of how large these cities are. Let's just sit right down in the middle and you can look at it. Like, you know, New York, New York is one of those cities. Los Angeles is ridiculously just huge places that you just you know, like we from the south, we got fifteen buildings. That's it. You know, they got fifteen buildings like in this corner over here, and then there's yeah. fifteen buildings over in that corner over there. And you know, you can you can look at any any point on the spectrum. You can look and find our entire city. You can fit our entire cities into you know a few blocks of these areas, and it's hard to understand that unless you go. So yeah, yeah, we're there. Understand. We were there for three days, and the third day when we were, she, we woke up and looked out the window, and she looked at me and she said, "You know, this was great. Yeah. I'm done. I'm ready to go home." That's right. It's overwhelming, you know. Right. It is. It is. You got wow. to be from there to understand that. Wow. Well, um, do you have any anything else you want to talk about? Like, I'll, what what I can do is we can put the description for your book in the. In the um, what am I? Bleh. In the description, uh, we'll put a uh, we'll put the link for your book in the description. I'm assuming it's on Amazon. It is. It is. So we'll put the Amazon link uh, in the description. And do you have if, if you have any social media or anything else that you yeah. you know uh, send it to me, and uh, my editor will also put it in there. And I'll put this. We'll put this in. You know, he won't edit this out. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you or buy the book, check it out. You know about. Hey, do you have an audible version of your book? There is an audible. Uh, no, there's not an audible. There is a Kindle version, but not an audible yet. You got to do an audible. Yeah, I'm gonna work on it, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and try. So, you know, it's it's funny. No, I I can't read my own book. Like, I mean, I I I'm just not good at it. It it it's horrible. I actually had a guy that contacted me, and he's like, "Look, you really ought to put your books on." on audible and i was like ah, you know i i just can't do it I, I i've tried it i'm i'm stuttering I, I don't read well i just can't do it and so he said well i'll do it and i'll you know i'll i'll do a 50 50 royalty split and then after like i forget it, i think it's like six years or seven years i'm like like after six years then it's 100 percent yours mm-hmm. and i was like so what do i have to do you don't have to do anything like you just have to tell me to do tell me to do it so he did it and put up and put it up and I listen, I suddenly over the course of a few months started getting a nice little chunk wow. 
of money for and did nothing. Yeah. I mean, actually, that's not true. The only thing I did do was my jacket cover. I had to make a square version of the jacket I'm, cover. Like not like it was just like a joke. Like nothing. So so literally he did everything. He put it on Audible. He let me I listened to the whole thing. I any corrections he made, uh, did everything. So, you know, if you're interested, I can give you uh his name or you know, if yeah. you don't want to do it yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, well, you know, I'm going to talk thing. to my publisher. Yeah, yeah. It, if you'll send me his information, I'll have so that I'll have it. But, uh, you know, I'm seriously going to do an audible version. I don't know how much time I have to, to do it myself, but I, I think I would want to do it myself. I would, too, if I thought I could. <laughs> but you may be an excellent reader. You may be perfect. I, I mean, you're probably great. You probably just we'll be a see. sure might and you're good. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if, if that's the case. Because yeah. there are some people that they're just not going to read. They'll listen to a book. They'll download it for $9, but they're just not going to. And yeah. they listen to it long distance truck driving, doing whatever. Mm. They're just not going to uh, read a book, the book. So right. it, I don't feel like you're losing anything. I don't feel like it's, oh, they would have bought a book or they'll buy this. No, no. They weren't going to buy anything. Unless it's on Audible. So anyway, something to think about. I, I Listen, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I appreciate you guys watching. Do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. And leave a comment in the comment section. Also, we're going to leave Detective Anderson's uh, Amazon link in the description. So you can uh, click on it and buy a copy of his book. And we'll also leave all of his social media links too if you want to follow him. And I appreciate you guys watching. Thanks a lot. See ya.